Cool stuff. All right. Now you see me? <laughs> now you do. Yeah, you guys can be seated. Woohoo! Fun, fun, fun. I want to invite Jared to hang out with me for just a quick little second because uh, Jared and I have a, a running joke between us. And it goes like this. We'll have different people come up to one of us and be convinced that we're the other person. And this is happening, this has happened basically since we've both been on staff, I think. Yeah, for a while. And it's probably because we shared some time in Fort Lauderdale. Who knows what else? Anyways, so I just wanted for both of us at the same time to be on the stage together before you. Proof that we are not each other and neither are we. Well, you can't prove that neither one of us is Batman because he's not on the stage with us. So that's still possible. But if you need to know which of us is Jared, he's the one with the killer hair. Okay? So this is Jared and we love him to death. Yep. Woo-hoo. Well, happy 4th of July. Pretty fun stuff. No, there, do we have a happy 4th? Is there a slogan? Like if I say Merry Christmas, everyone says Merry Christmas, Happy Easter, Happy Easter. Is there no happy 4th thing? That must not be a thing. Because it happened in the first service as well when I said happy 4th and there's just nothing, no response. Because everyone's trying to think to themselves, how, how do I respond? And I say, yes. I guess that's the happy 4th. Yes. So anyways, happy 4th. It's going to be a really fun day, I hope, for all of us. My hope is for you that at some point you get to light something on fire today, uh, whether that's something that results in beautiful colors for entertainment's sake, or whether that's something that results in beautiful flavors for your palate. Uh, it seems like a thing that we like to do to celebrate the 4th in our country. And so, yeah, I hope that you get to do that and have some fun today. My name is Tim Griesbach. I get to be one of our pastors, and it is seriously such a privilege to be, <laughs> yes, true, not Jared, Tim Griesbach. Oh my gosh, you guys are great. Uh, It's my privilege to get to be here this weekend and get to preach again, to get to lead us as best as I can into meeting with God through His Word. Today we are going to look at a really kind of interesting parable. It's one that you've probably in the past, if you've ever come across it in your own reading, odds are you've read it, scratched your head, and thought, what on earth? am I supposed to do with this? And then, like any good Bible reading person, you've just moved on. You're like, I, I, what, what comes next? Tell me what's next. I'll figure that out later. Well, today is the later. Today we get to finally dig into this parable, and I think it's going to be uh, really just kind of fun and refreshing for us. And it has huge, awesome significance, not only for our life right now, but for what it looks like all the way into eternity. So I want to pray real quick, and then we'll just jump right into the text and have ourselves some good old fun today. Father, we do ask that you would be with us today, and that you would help us to attend to your presence. Help us to pay attention to the fact that you are here. And I pray that you would open up our eyes and our ears so that when we see your word and we hear you speak, that we would be ready to receive it as truth, that we would be ready to let you call the shots in our lives, in our hearts. And I pray that for some of us today that we would experience a little bit of a paradigm shift when it comes to handling some of this stuff that we handle every single day of our lives. And so we thank you, Lord, and we trust that you are going to do good things in this next time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's just jump right into the passage today. It's in Luke chapter 16. We're going to go verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to have some fun. 
So this is Jesus telling parables. We're in that section and we're continuing on. And it says, He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And then here is the punchline of this parable. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. All right. Anybody else feel like that's a bit, of, bit weird, a bit unexpected, a little bit differently, different than what you may have anticipated in a parable about a master and a manager, a steward? Like, when you see this in the context of his other parables, it's surprising because we've seen Jesus use the illustration of a master with servants many different times. Right? There's the one where he's got like the different talents that he's handing out to the individuals to invest on his behalf, and then he goes away and he comes back. There's all kinds of instances where we see that, but this is the only one where the manager is bad. This word that's translated dishonest also means like unrighteous. It's the same word that's used to describe the wealth, that unrighteous wealth. He's unrighteous, they're dishonest, it's not following through on the agreement. But he doesn't end up being cast out where there's gnashing of teeth, right? Because we've seen that too in parables at times where it's like, oh, I see what's going to happen here. Like this dishonest manager is going to get his. But instead, in this particular parable, the dishonest manager ends up being commended for his shrewdness, for his cleverness. And I know in my own life, I've had many instances of reading this passage and of kind of, you know, I'm reading chapters at a time, and I kind of scratch my head and go, I'll have to come back to this some other time <laughs> and try to figure out what on earth this is getting to. But over the last few weeks, I finally had that privilege of getting to look at it. And as I've dug further into it, it's really pretty exciting to me. And if you need to know anything about me, what you should know is that I am a bit of a nerd when it comes to my love for God's Word, for Scripture. I absolutely enjoy reading God's Word and trying to understand the connections from this page to the next page and the next page and to help like make it make sense in my head because I believe that it absolutely is consistent and trustworthy and reliable when it comes to communicating God's purposes and His plans for us. 
And so when I encountered this passage and started digging into it, I was just shocked at all of the little things in it that reveal, at least to me, like the brilliance of Jesus when it came to communicating and teaching the people around him using these parables. And so we're just going to dig right in, right off the bat, and take a look at the main point of this parable. And then we're going to extrapolate out from that really, really practical things that it means for us. See, when you're looking for the main point of most of his parables, you can find it at least referenced, if not explicitly stated, in that punchline section where he says something along the lines of, and I tell you, and then what follows. And this one is just the same. When he says, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous or dishonest wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. What he is doing by setting it up so that the dishonest manager is commended is he's actually like removing any possible distractions for this particular illustration. He's trying to say, don't think about this like the, man, you know, like the uh, master with the good servants. Don't think about it like any of these others, like where the, you know, the servant goes out and he holds someone else accountable for giving him stuff, but then he's not paying, you know, he's been forgiven. And so gnashing of teeth. Don't think about it like those. He kind of creates this weird flip-flop situation that really focuses in on the principle he's trying to communicate. And the principle is this. We have an opportunity in this life to leverage our temporary resources for eternal gain. We have an opportunity in this short life we have, right? Maybe it'll be 80 years, 100 years, 120. I mean, regardless, it's tiny in the blip of all eternity. But we have an opportunity in this life to take our resources and to invest them in a way that goes beyond this life and produces an eternal gain, an eternal reward, an eternal return on that investment. And that thought on its own is worth just thinking about a little bit. Because I know that some of our people within our church are incredibly clever, brilliant even, when it comes to leveraging their resources and making good investments. Like they understand how that world works. They can take this much of a resource and turn it into this much of a resource. That's how their brains work. And I'm excited because I think for some of you, we see here that we have this opportunity to take a little bit of resource that we have in this life. And if we really want the most possible return, then any amount of eternal return is going to be greater than any amount of temporary return. You following me? Does that make sense so far? Any eternal return that we get, even if it's tiny, which when we look at Scripture, it's not actually tiny. It's incredible, and it's forever. But because it's forever, that makes the value of that return infinitely bigger than any amount of financial, or any kind of other resource return that you could get here in this life. And to me, that's just really exciting because I want for me and I want for us, for every single one of us in this church to thrive eternally. I don't just want you to have a good life now with disregard toward whatever happens next. 
I want the absolute highest joy possible for me, and I want the absolute highest joy possible for every single one of you. Which means, from my perspective, we're going to have to figure out what it means to get some eternal investment going on. So as we look towards doing that, the first thing that I think we want to do is establish what exactly are our primary resources? Like, what are the things that we have that we can invest? I've spent a lot of time just thinking about all kinds of different parts of life, and this is one of those questions that I've interacted with God a lot. Like, God, what are our primary resources? What are human resources? What are things that we can exchange for adding value in this world? And that's going to be kind of my definition of a resource. A primary resource is something that you can exchange or trade to get something of value or to add value. We, we exchange it. It's not something that's just like leverage. Like your intellect isn't a resource. It's more like a multiplier. It's more like your intellect can actually be used against a resource to get more return, but you can't just leverage it by yourself and you don't give up the intellect so when I say resource, I'm thinking the things that we give up, that we can exchange for adding value. And so I've got four of them that we'll take a quick look at. And my hope is that you'll have the opportunity today to just take maybe just one of these and say, wow, that one really hits home. Like, that's the resource maybe I would, I've been neglecting. And that working alongside with God, that you will have motivation into the next weeks and months to leverage that particular resource for your eternal gain and for the eternal gain of people around you. So the first resource we're going to look at is time. Time as a resource. Everybody gets time. And time is an interesting resource because all of us actually get the same amount of time. We wake up in the day and we have another day worth of time to spend in that day. It's dispensed to us by grace, but it's dispensed at the same rate. But the scary thing about time as a resource is that every single one of us is constantly spending that resource, whether we're thinking about it or not. It's probably the easiest of the resources to be accidental with. Because even right now, you are spending time. You are here or you are connecting online and gathering with us digitally. And you have set aside this time. You said, I am going to exchange this hour, this chunk of time. And my hope is that you think to yourself, I'm going to do this because I anticipate a return of some sort. Like I'm going to spend my time here. And I think it's going to be better for me if I had not spent my time here. I'm going to get something out of this that's meaningful. Time is an incredible thing. Every single day, every single hour, every single minute, every second, we're spending time. And hopefully, we're getting some return on that exchange, some value. And we're going to look at how we can leverage time to get eternal value in just a couple minutes. The second resource that we're going to look at is our energy, our energy. Now, in the like simplest way, or like to just break it all the way down, when I think of energy, I think of like, like you can measure energy as like physical capacity, but I know that our physical bodies and our minds and our emotions, like it's all kind of this interwoven mess. And so energy is sort of a, a catch-all for all of that kind of energy. But I love the physical energy example because 
We can actually quantify it. Like when I eat food, I can say how much energy is this food supplying me with? And then I can hop on a cardio bicycle and it'll tell me how much energy I output. Now, energy is an interesting resource because it's not the same among every single person. Every single person has a different amount of energy than any other. Like I think oftentimes when I think of energy as a resource, I think of my wonderful, beautiful wife, Christy. Like she's got some health stuff that she's been dealing with and we're in a pretty good season right now, which is exciting for me because I get to actually watch her energy increase. Because for a long time, I've seen the effects of her having kind of a small amount of energy to, to exchange every day. And, and she'll just run out of energy way before she runs out of time in any given day. And I mean, she's my favorite human on the planet. So I want to see her thrive and I want to see her expand that energy, which is the other interesting thing about energy is that when you put effort into it, you can actually increase the capacity that you have for that resource. Not to be like overly blunt, but like I'm sure some of you guys have that friend who eats really well, like veggies and fruits and the green things and all that. And then they have energy for the whole day to do all kinds of stuff. Like, like that's, that's not just like accidental. There's a correlation between what we put into our bodies and what we're able to output in terms of activity. So energy is the, is the second resource that we as humans have to exchange. Now, the third resource we have is kind of odd. And for some of you, I think you're going to go, wait a second, is that even a resource? Uh, the third resource is attention. Or another word that I've heard used for this is like focus. Or another possible word that might be synonymous when we're talking about this kind of stuff is like willpower. But attention, and it's your ability to, it's connected to your ability to just focus on a thing and to attend to that one thing well. I think of all of the resources that we've experienced or talked about so far, I think this one is probably the least valued currently overall within our culture. That collectively our ability to attend to one thing well seems to be declining and decreasing. Part of that I think is connected to some of the ways that technology is being used to like give you little micro, micro rewards that you've given permission to interrupt every little activity you do. Like your phone buzzes and you stop whatever you're attending to and you redirect your attention to this little object in your pocket or purse. You pull it out, you look at it, you clear the notification, you get a little bit of, oh, that, that felt nice, I felt good about that, and you move on, right? But the, over time, this ends up having this effect on our ability to just attend to one thing, and, and attention is a, a huge deal. Like when you look at some of the grand things that are created that humans have been a part of in this world, like it doesn't happen without huge amounts of attentionality. I think I just made that word up. I think it's like, I meant to say attention, but intentionality, they're too close. I'm so sorry. Anyways, it takes a lot of attention to accomplish that stuff. And I think all of us at some point have had the experience where you get to the end of a day, right? You're near the end of the day. You still have hours left, so it's still time. You still have energy left, but it's hard to actually focus on a thing. And those I find are times when we are prone to just like 
toss on whatever video streaming service is our choice at the moment and, and kind of veg out. We just watch something, play something on our phone. We, we feel inclined in those moments to distract ourselves as a means of like dealing with the fact that we're out of attention in that moment. And then the fourth resource that we have that I think is probably the most obvious one if we're just talking with resources that we can leverage is money, which ironically I think is just a way to sort of store up the value that's created by the other resources. That when you leverage your time and energy and attention on something, oftentimes there, we use money to quantify or store up the value, the represented, represented value of what was accomplished there. And I know that for some of you, as soon as I said the word money, a red flag went off because you're like, hold on, I'm in church. You said the word money. I know what's coming next. You're just going to ask for money, right? Oh, I can see the end of the sermon already. Here it comes. Well, I just want to clear the air for you. If you've never given to Crossroads Church before, I actually don't want you to give us any money this weekend. Like, don't start giving today if that's how you've, uh, you know, if, if you've not given before. This sermon is really not about you giving us value. It's not about you giving us resource, for goodness sakes. My desire is for you to have a paradigm shift so that you can begin leveraging your resources, your time, your energy, your attention, and your money, not just for temporary gains, not just for a temporary return, but for eternal returns, for the kind of rewards that will last you forever. And you don't need to give to Crossroads Church to be doing that. So I'd say at least this weekend, better off you just don't. Like, let this be a weekend for thinking and reflecting on these different resources. And I find that as I'm thinking about these different four categories of resources, and as I'm trying to think, like, how do I actually engage with them? For me, at least, it's helpful to kind of personify each of them and to say, okay, like there's a person, like an internal reflective person inside of me that's responsible for managing my time and a different one that's responsible for managing my energy and my attention and, I'm, and my money. And to that end then, I want us to think about it like this, like every single one of us, each of us has a team of internal investors. Each of us has a team of investors, time, energy, attention, and money. And while it's easy to be accidental about some of these things, we don't want to be accidental. We want to be intentional, and we want to leverage these as best possible for the most possible return. And Jesus here is showing us that there's a way to do it eternally. He's reminding us that eternal rewards are at stake. Jesus is inviting us to take ownership of our stewardship. So another one of the aspects of this parable that just strikes me as especially beautiful and brilliant from Jesus' mind. Like how right off the bat you have this picture of the rich man who's representative of God and, and the manager. Right, who, a manager is just another word for steward. So this, this individual has been set up as a steward, and it's a reminder, even within this strange little parable, that we are stewards of the resources that we have been given. 
That the intention is not for us to just take these resources and leverage them to make ourselves happy and comfortable and whatever our design and purpose is. But it's referencing this idea that, man, the one who gave you these resources actually has a best plan. And in this parable, like there's other parables where it's like, so leverage them for the king's purpose. Yes, yes, that's good. But here the point is, man, there is a good reason for you to do this. Because it's actually going to have eternal consequences and rewards for you. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in in chapter 6 of Matthew talks about rewards a lot as this odd motivating factor. A lot of us think that God wants us to do good things just because it's the right thing to do. Like we've got some weird, we just haven't flushed out actually, dug down deep enough to get the reasons, his motivations. But part of what he shows us in Matthew chapter 6 is that there's rewards at stake. Like for us, like real rewards, things that we are going to enjoy. And instead of trying to describe every little nitty-gritty detail of those things, he paints it in the picture of saying, your father who sees in secret will reward you. He says, your father who knows everything that you need, he knows how you were made, will reward you. And ultimately, it's this eternal reward that he's saying, man, let this motivate you. Not the wealth and the stuff of this world, which in our passage here, this word dishonest and unrighteous, right? This, I think that's another thing that's super clever to me about how Jesus is telling this parable as he's using this word in different kinds of ways, which I think is supposed to help us at least. It's hard 2,000 years later, I know, but it's supposed to help us to attribute some of the meaning the nuance across both ways. So it's not just that the manager was dishonest and that the wealth was unrighteous. It's the same exact word. So it's sort of helping us understand that this dishonest manager was being unrighteous. And this unrighteous wealth can be a bit dishonest with us. It can try to trick us into thinking that that's what's best, that that's what's worth pursuing. But he's trying to help us see that there's a way to take this limited temporal, transient stuff and to invest it for eternal gain. So then how do we actually go about doing that with our time, our energy, our attention, our money? How do we actually exchange those things for eternal rewards, for eternal return? I think the way you do it is by starting at like, what are the eternal realities And how can you make your temporary resources touch those realities? And so the first thing that I would say is going to sound probably a little trite to some of you. But the first way that we can invest our temporary resources for eternal gain is by investing in our relationship with Jesus. He made us to bear the image of God in this world, to reflect what God is like in this world, and to be in relationship with Him. And it's our relationship with Him, this one singular relationship between us and Jesus, that matters more than anything else. Not only in this one single life, in this one single world, but for eternity. That's going to be the defining aspect of you. What is this relationship with Jesus? And so the first way that we can do it is to leverage our time, spending time with Jesus. 
Just setting aside time and saying, this time is the time I'm going to give to being with you. It's going to be giving him energy, spending energy on that relationship. That when you pick up his word or you spend time in prayer, it's not just checking off a box, right? But that you're pouring yourself into it. It's giving him your attention. Practiced, undivided attention of just being present with Jesus as king over your heart and as savior of your life. And it's giving him your money. And I don't mean give your money to a church. I mean like giving him, saying, you get to call the shots in all the resources that you've given me to steward. So what do you want to do today, Jesus? You've given me quite a bit to work with. How would you like us to use it today? And the second way I think that we can invest eternally is by investing in the only thing in all of creation that is also eternal. People. The other humans, the eight or so billion other people, but that's too impersonal. So the humans that you see in your own life, the humans that live in your home or in your neighborhood or that you work alongside, And when it comes to leveraging our time and our energy, our attention and our money there, it's it's really helping them to connect with Jesus as the king over their hearts, as the rescuer of their rebellious souls. Right? We know that on our own we have this tendency to just reject God and to be rebellious and say, I'd rather do things my own way. But God has revealed that through Jesus we can be brought back into right relationship with him forever. That the people that we interact with every single day are not just blips. They are eternal beings. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, The Weight of Glory. It's a pretty heavy book, but it's good. And I just want to read a portion out of it because the way he says it is, well, it's just the way he says it. C.S. Lewis, right? Sometimes it's just how it goes. He says it like this. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. 
I love where he says there that you've never talked to an ordinary person. Every human that you come into contact with is eternal, which there should be a little bit of weight that comes along with that realization. And if you understand this parable, some excitement, because it means that you have the opportunity then to leverage these temporary resources. It's just all dust eventually one way or another, to invest in them, these beings that will last forever, either close with Christ, enjoying his presence, or in despair far away from him. And so I want to make it extra super practical for a small group of you right now, like young fathers, young men who are doing the very best that you can to lead your households, you know, and it's hard leveraging your resources well. I know that there are absolutely times where you just want to be a little bit lazy or a little bit accidental. It can become really stressful, but I want to invite you this weekend to take on the challenge of leveraging your team for eternal gain, of investing and exchanging your time and energy and attention and money, first and foremost, in your relationship with Christ, in your relationship with Jesus, that that becomes priority number one in your life, that you set aside that time Every single day to say, no matter what, I'm going to make sure that my relationship with Christ is solid. That I know him and that I know that he knows me. And that I grow in my affection for him. And in my ability to listen to him as he leads me throughout the day. Number two, I want to invite you into the challenge of investing your team into your family. You have humans living in your home with you. This is pretty awesome. There are no other humans on the planet that you have this much exposure to in your life. And young men, you have an opportunity to invest in your wife, to invest in your children in ways like no one else can. You can leverage all of these resources to help them connect with Jesus every single day because they are eternal beings. I don't know if you thought about the fact that your love with your spouse has created an eternal being, but it has. Exciting, scary, yeah, whole lot of feelings around that. But take the opportunity to leverage and exchange these resources for the eternal gain of your family. And then the last way I'd say to do it is invest in those neighbors of yours. God has placed you where you are and you have people living around you almost positively. You might have neighbors upstairs and downstairs and to the left and to the right, but you have exposure, you have an opportunity into their lives that's geographically distinct that creates opportunities for you to leverage your time, your energy, your attention, and your money to help them to find out what love really is. To discover that love is a God who being rejected by his image 
image-bearing creations did not reject them, but sent his son, Jesus, as a man to live, to live the kind of relationship that all of us were supposed to live, to be able to live in the first place with the Father, and then to die the death that he didn't deserve, so that we who look to him in faith can have that life. Life now, like true life connected to real purpose and hope and joy, and life forever off into eternity, close with him as our highest treasure and delight. You have the opportunity to make that love apparent to your neighbors and to your family members. Man, and I just want to say that if you are here and you have not yet invested anything in your relationship with Jesus, but you want to, I have been praying for you this week. I've been praying that God would bring you here. I've been praying that God will continue to give us as Crossroads Church opportunities to help connect the dots for you. To be able to see Jesus as the one who can call you out for who you actually are, to rescue you as an image bearer, as a son or a daughter of the Creator King, as the one who can invite you into life of purpose and joy. Man, and if you want to take the first step in following Jesus as the King of your heart, as the one who saves you and rescues you from your rebelliousness. We want to be a part of that with you. We want to be able to walk with you through that experience. And so we've made that really easy. You can just text the name Jesus to our number so that we can text you back. You can text it to 720-513-1933 and we can reach out to you and help you to connect with Jesus as your Lord and Savior the one whom we are about to celebrate through communion and through singing. And so I just want to leave you with this last thought before we move into remembering Christ through communion. You will outlive your resources. But you don't have to outlive your investments. Let's pray. Father, I just want to say thank you, first of all, that you made it possible for us to exchange stuff here that has an eternal reward, eternal gain, and an eternal return. That's just stunning to me. And I know in my own life, God, I want to get better at that. I want to and need, honestly, your help when it comes to that, to leveraging my time and energy and attention and money to that end and not just let it become nothing here. Will you please help us this week? And will you speak to us individually through your spirit? Will you speak to us and give us clear methods, clear practical ways within our our own relationship with you, within our families, within our neighborhoods, Lord, to do just this. And we thank you for all that you've made possible through Christ on the cross for us. 
I pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember you and celebrate you well right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week at Crossroads, we remember Christ through communion, that he is the, the ultimate aspect that we're coming to. He's the central focus of our worship. That he died on the cross to rescue us. Such an act of grace and love. And so we remember on the night that our Savior was betrayed, that he was at the table with his disciples, and he took the bread and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember that he gave of himself to rescue us as we eat the bread together. And after the dinner, he took the cup and he passed it to them all and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember that it took the shedding of Christ's blood to purchase for us forgiveness as we drink from the cup. I want to invite you at this time, if you're in our room, to go ahead and stand, take a posture for meeting with God and celebrating what He's done through some music. And if you are here or if you're online, and you really want to pray with someone. You want someone to meet with you and to pray with you. Well, here in the room, we've got people that are back here in the corner that are here just to pray with you, to meet with you and to encourage you. And if you're online, we've got people that are there that have been praying for you this whole time that are ready to pray with you. If you click the button that says, ask for prayer, we want to meet with you. We're gonna start our musical worship using a little bit of a, a non-traditional song it's like poetry set to music, but it's beautiful. And I think at some times really valuable for us to reflect in the midst of the music on our relationship with our King. And so let's do that together as we sing.